I want you to imagine if you were going to hop on an airplane, you need to book a flight, and so you got on your favorite website, wherever you book your flights from, and you start to compare Delta and, and United and US Air and American and Frontier, and all of a sudden, this great rate comes up from old school Mega Air, $1, LaGuardia Airport. You go, well, that's where I'm going. So you book the flight, that's awesome. You'll walk up and you're ready to check your bags up. And at old school Mega Air, there's a very attractive young woman there and she takes your bag and that's great, you know, but she, there's no app for your phone for a boarding pass. It's just an old school data card, you know, the kind that used to have data processing machines. And so you take your boarding pass with you down to gate 139B, all right? It's at the far end of the terminal where you're not going to walk through the tunnel to hop on the airplane. You've got to go down the tarmac. And as you go down the tarmac, you recognize a guy is going to take your ticket and help you board the plane whose name is Cleet, you know? He's a little grimy and dirty because he also is the mechanic who works on the planes. All right, he's the one who's going to load your bags too. So he 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 takes your ticket, and you're on you're walking on the tarmac to where you realize that you're boarding an old school B-17 bomber. All right, and so you start to go on the plane, and there the flight attendant is the same woman who checked you in, and she said, you know, there's no there's no coffee service or or peanuts on this airplane. There's just safe travel together and so all of a sudden you and your nine other best friends hop on this plane where onto the aircraft walks a pilot who looks like he's never shaved before with a parachute and then the, the stewardess puts on her parachute and they're about to close the doors what would you do you know would anybody in their right mind take that flight no way but yet Spiritually speaking, so many professing Christians and non walked through this season totally unprepared. Didn't do any research at all about what this season is truly all about. And the church in its wisdom in the first Sunday of Advent kind of puts some cold water in our face and says, Be ready! Jesus is coming back. And that's what this whole day is about. Each week has a theme. As I mentioned at the beginning, as we lit the Advent wreath, this week our theme is hope. So I invite you to open up with me to your Bibles in Matthew 24, as we look at this great text of hope found in our Lord's speech to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. The first week of Advent, our theme is hope. The second week, it'll be peace. The third week, it's joy as we light the pink candle. And then the last week, when we celebrate the Magnificat with Mary, love, not English love, but the agape love, the unconditional love of God in Jesus. And so that's where we're going to be going this, this Advent. And this text today reflects to Jesus' words, some great words of hope for us, recognizing what is our hope ultimately, two, how can we know it? And three, how can we get it? All right? That's what we're seeing in Matthew 24, this section. What's our ultimate hope? How can we know? And how can we receive it? So Jesus, throughout chapter 24, has been talking about the kingdom and talking about the end times and talking about the first part, verse 3 to verse 28, 
the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem. It's called the abomination of desolation, hearkening back to Daniel. And basically what he's saying to them is, this is going to happen within your lifetime. And then this is from 29 to 44, a little overlap there, but ultimately about events that will not happen within their lifetime, and we don't know when they're actually going to happen. And then in verse chapter 25, they, Jesus then starts to give parables demonstrating what it means to be prepared. So let's look at this together. What is our hope? You know, when you think about the hope that we have in Christ and dying and going home with the Lord, um, we get some weird ideas from our culture. There's so many people who think, you know, when you die, you become an angel, you go up to St. Peter, he hands you your harp, and he says, that's your cloud. Have fun. You know? Um, my friends, I, I don't know about you, but that's the last thing from heaven for me. You know, I don't like clouds that much. You know, I, I love my fireplace. I love my basset hound. I love my family. And there's something about the smell of a wood fire. Amen. You know, just there's good. There's something in each and every one of us that knows that this, this earth is good. And so what we're seeing in this text is a great hope for the future for all of God's people. Look at verse 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. See, the Bible doesn't speak of becoming an angel. They're a whole separate category of creation. What he talks about is his people being with him in an eternity. And as a matter of fact, it is a physical eternity. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's what we live in today is what scholars call the already and not yet. It's we have Christ and the fulfilled life in Christ and the abundant life in Christ now, but it's going to get even better when he returns. So we live in the already, not yet. And so one day it's going to happen. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, should the Lord take us home before he returns again? We're in what Paul says, a better place, Philippians 1.23. Paul writes, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better what theologians call the intermediate state. That's where our friends and loved ones who have died, they're with Jesus right now, and it's better than here. Take, make no mistake about it, it's better. But it's not best. Because in each and every one of us, just like we like the smell of freshly mown grass, we like the sounds of the, of the birds in the spring. You know, this morning I was greeted by an obnoxious blue jay. And I just thought, it's so awesome that some birds actually hang around for wintertime here in Northeast Ohio. And he's just got that obnoxious, arrogant, creaking screech. Because one day, he will come not as a baby as he did at Christmas. He will come as king. And the text says he will redeem his elect, meaning his chosen people from all the ages, Living and dead. My friends, there will be a physical eternity where we will be eating and drinking and working without weeds. It will be the new creation. And it will be glorious. And we'll be able to hug one another, shake hands with one another, high-five one another forever. 
And it's going to be wonderful. And in our preparations for Christmas, let us not forget this. That this day is going to come. That I'm going to get a new body, and I'm turning 55 this year, and I'm really starting to look forward to that. You know, that my knee aches, and my hair that keeps falling out in the back of my head, and the gray that keeps happening is going to reverse itself. And I will look like Jesus. And so will you in Jesus Christ. That's hope that the world can't even come close to. Secondly, how do we know this is going to happen? Well, he says it in his word. Verse 35, But my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He's talking to them about the fig tree. He's been talking about that earlier in the chapter, you know, helping them to see the fig tree as a, as a way to read the signs of the times. And yes, you know, it seems in our day that the world's not getting better. It's getting worse. But so many generations before us have figured and started to wonder, you know, Jesus is going to come back within my lifetime. And when people say that or ask me, when do you think Jesus is coming back? I say, man, that's way above my pay grade. You know, it, within the Godhead, the beautiful Trinity whom we worship and adore, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, within the Godhead, there's the mystery of only the Father knowing the time. So who are we to, to predict dates? What we need to do is be ready and, and notice the signs that are out there Trusting in God's word, which does not pass away, dear friends. As sure as Jesus has died and risen and ascended, he will come again. Why do we know that? Because he said so in his word. And I know in our culture that sounds overly simplistic, but it's not. We can trust God's word. It's not something that people will say, well, that's just what the, the people used to think. No, this is for today's Christianity as well. And it isn't it interesting that every generation thinks that the generation before it or before that one is absolutely crazy. You know? If you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. All right? But it's fascinating how when you're 18, you think your parents are nuts, but all of a sudden when you're mid-20s, you realize how smart they actually were. We did it. My dad did it to his parents, and, and yours did it too. But there are things that our grandparents firmly held to that we look at as kind of crazy, right? So every generation comes along and thinks it's superior, but Jesus comes along in here and says, you know what, you can trust my word, because heaven and earth are going to pass away. My word doesn't. It's going to be forever. So that begs the question, well, how do we know we can trust it, what God's word says? Basic Bible 101. I say this every now and then, but it's worth repeating for us. How can we trust it? Uh, let's take the New Testament, for example. Well, if you examine any book in antiquity, you have to ask two great questions. When was it written? And how old's the copies that we have? And what's the time span between those two, right? That's, that's a, a question of authenticity. And so, did you know that there are 5,300 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament? Did you know that? Complete 27 books together. 
There are 10,000 Latin manuscripts and 9,300 early portions of the New Testament. So if you do the math, you recognize there's up to 24,000 extant manuscripts of the New Testament. All of them written within 15 to 50 years of the events that they are describing. The nearest companion comparison is Homer's Iliad, which was written with 634 documents written 500 years after Homer allegedly wrote it. My friends, there's no other document from antiquity that even approaches the New Testament. Dr. John Warwick Montgomery comments, to be skeptical of the New Testament books is to allow all of classical antiquity to slip into obscurity. For no documents of the ancient period are as well attested bibliographically as the New Testament. <laughs> my, my professors at Trinity used to say often, you know, if, if revisionist biblical scholarship were used in ancient Greek scholarship, they would be arguing over and over and over, did Homer actually write this? Well, they've come to the conclusion, well, if it wasn't Homer, it was a guy who was named Homer who spoke like Homer. That's the point. The, the classic scholars in Greek look at the way some of the revisionist biblical scholars approach the New Testament and go, are you nuts? That's academic dishonesty. So therefore, dear friends, we can trust him in his word. Now, some of you might be thinking about the end times and Jesus' return. Well, gosh, it's been so long. Surely this is an ancient belief, you know. Yeah, I believe Jesus died and rose again and all that stuff, Gene, but he isn't coming back. We're just going to die and we go off and be with him. And I want to say, don't you realize what Jesus is saying is, is better? That the whole Bible speaks, if you believe this, the whole Bible speaks of the resurrection, the general resurrection. And just because it's been a long time in our view, because we live, the Bible says, 60, 70, maybe 80 years, doesn't mean it's been a long day to the Lord. Peter says in his second letter to the church in 3, verses 8, but not, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So really, it's only been a couple days since the Lord resurrected and ascended, right? And so I believe the only way that he has tarried in our view is because he wants more people to come into the kingdom. He's exercising grace to our friends who don't know Christ the way we know them. And our job is to be the blessing that God's called us to be in our community. Interesting story about this. There was a Japanese emperor who commissioned an artist to write him a beautiful landscape painting of the Japanese countryside. Well, months went by, and the emperor didn't receive his painting, and so he, he was furious with this artist. So he went to the artist's home and demanded a reason for the delay. And the artist stopped what he was doing, and literally within an hour, drew for the emperor out of sheer fear of his life, drew for the emperor a beautiful landscape, exactly as the emperor wanted him. And the emperor goes, that's amazing. Why didn't you do this earlier for me? The artist went back into his room and brought armloads of drawings of feathers and birds 
mountains, in rivers, and laid them at the emperor's feet. And the artist explained that all this research and study had been necessary before he could complete the painting. My friends, God is not done with the world. He's not done with you and me. He's not done with our friends and our loved ones who don't know him. The only reason he seems to be delaying is so that more people can come into his kingdom and we can trust him at his word that he will. Finally, what can we do to have hope? Well, I think verse 44 gives us a key. Therefore, Jesus says, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not respect. In other words, be ready. So what can you do to be ready? Well, I think it, there's two groups of people. First, there's for those of you who have been struggling in your walk with Christ, don't know Christ, profess faith in Christ, but yet don't show a lot for it in your life. I want to encourage you dear friends this morning, to place your trust in this Jesus Christ, if for the very first time. To use this Advent season to walk in Him and to grow in Him, and we'll give you some tools in which to do so. And we have in our prayer, in our liturgy, you know, we have an opportunity to confess our sins, which we've already done. We, we, we have an opportunity in our prayer times to do that even more so, and to to place our trust in him once and for all. For those of you who do believe and are, are following Jesus, oh, is Advent's great. What a great time to, to get an Advent wreath. Nancy, we're sold out for the day? Yes. All right, we're sold out. Um, we were selling Advent wreaths if you didn't have one. If you do have one, use it. If not, we, we'll, we'll point you. Talk to Nancy. She'll, she can point you in the right direction. Um, use this season devotionally as a family. To the, the, your dinner is over, you've cleaned up, you're about to tuck your loved one in. If you don't have any small little ones running around the house, you can just, as a couple, as a family, light the Advent wreath, go to the back of the Book of Common Prayer and, and, and read those readings for this year, where you're A in the Book of Common Prayer. There's all kinds of online devotionals. I ordered Piper's Advent devotional from Amazon and it didn't come. And so I'm, I'm going to check my shipping when I get home this afternoon. But we'll have them for you hopefully next week. The point is there's all kinds of great things to, for you to grow in your own personal walk with Jesus. But then it doesn't stay there. What we do at Christ Church is do life together. We've really started to uh, put in the structures in place so that we do life together because the church is not some place to attend but it's more a people to be gathered and then dispersed into the community. So it's going to cost us some, but it's a cost worth having. So I want to encourage you, first of all, if you're not in a group, get in a group. We've got all kinds of groups. You know, gentlemen, we have Art Hall's group on Wednesdays, meaning every other week. We also, on Wednesday mornings at Starbucks and River. Ladies, we have the Tuesday morning group. You know, with Linda Jackson, a whole crew of women walking through Romans together. We also have a, a group uh, on Wednesdays. If you're retired and you're just looking for a group at 1030, we, we have a service like this. And we, we preach the sermon and then we discuss it 
sometimes at length. But it's so much fun. It's really laid back. It's not stuffy, but it's a wonderful time. And that group loves one another, does ministry together, and goes out to lunch every week. It's a wonderful group of small group. Next year, I encourage you, if you're not in a journey group, get in a journey group. Because what we do is dig deep into the word, hold each other accountable, and, and, and walk together and do life together in that group. And if none of those fit you, I get it. Sunday nights, the Avon Lake group, we're hoping to get it a little even bigger. We had a great turnout this fall. Come join us. There's room for you. We'll start it up again in January, coming off of Christmas. But the whole point is doing life together. And it's a small step we can do. And it's from there we do ministry. Come ring the bell with us. Uh, it's for the Sierra Salvation Army. Come uh, invite, have some, be hospitable as we approach Christmas season. We have three Christmas services in this space Christmas Eve. Saturday, December 24th. 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock are the exact same family service. 7 o'clock is lessons for, in carols with a sermon. I encourage you, reach out because the world still wants a part of Christmas. Your neighbors, where you live, where you work, where you play, really might come Christmas Eve. They might. And as we reach out to people, introduce ourselves during the three-minute rule, you know, do life together. Watch what the Lord will do with his people. Why do we do this? Because the Christian hope is not wishful thinking and wishful grasping at an uncertain tomorrow. But a confident expectation rooted in the reality of what happened 2,000 years ago upon the cross. The efficacy and the finality of Jesus' redemptive work upon the cross together with his resurrection and ascension as Lord to the right hand of the Father, account for the anticipation that we have as Christians for his return and the consummate fulfillment of God's eternal purpose in the new heaven and the new earth. My friends, I would suggest to you this morning there's no better event to be ready for. So let us be prepared this Advent, which will give us great hope, more hope than we've ever had before in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful once again that we can gather together as your people and recognize that we have great hope in you and the future that reminds us that we will have a physical eternity with you. And we can know that because of the truth and the trust of your word. Lord, uh, if there's any among us here this morning who have never placed their trust in you, we do that right now. We recognize that we're sinners and we want to turn to you and recognize that before you that we're, we're totally sinners and we ask forgiveness for our sins. And we give you our lives to do with as you wish. Lord, we pray that we would walk from here, all of us, whether, whether in that position or we've walked with you for many years. May we trust you like never before because of the great hope we have. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.